0: Hey, hey, everyone. I'm your host, James Jackson, and this is ArtCast. Join me each episode as we shine the spotlight on a category management or Shopper Insights professional doing compelling work in the trenches. If you're ready, let's dive right in. I'm here today with David Brindinzi, Senior Category Manager at Ferrero. David, it's great to have you here in person, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, James. Now, hopefully you've listened. If you haven't, don't tell me. But you're probably aware that the first question I ask is about your career journey. So if, if you could spend about two to three minutes and talk a little bit about you know the steps along the way, and then we'll get started.
1: Sounds great. Uh, yeah, again, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here uh, my journey really starts with uh, you know two types of, of roles, and, and they've included both sales and category management over the last 14 years. Started uh, essentially in the liquor business, and then moved my way into confections and candy and, and sweet packaged foods. It's been a very exciting journey. I've, I've worked on multiple channels uh, leading up to where I work today. Um, it, it's been really just a fun ride, and. If I look back, some of the, the key highlights, specifically starting in sales, starting in the liquor, liquor business and the liquor game, which is a unique uh, you know, starting point for any career, and then moved my way into, I would call it the, the second phase, which is Hershey, right? And, and did some, some work over the past decade with them and then, and then moving into Ferrero. So uh, what I've been doing today, uh, currently lead a team of category managers uh, within the field space and, and we cover convenience of the channel. And has been fantastic.
0: That that's awesome, and, and and I really want to dive into all of that. So if you're ready, let's get in the trenches. Let's get in the trenches. All right. So you talked about liquor. So Johnson Brothers liquor. Um, can you talk a little bit about your work there?
1: Um, I mean, what is it like to sell liquor? Sure. It's a great question. Um, To give a little bit of a background, it it was my first job out of college uh, around the time of the first recession that we had back in 2009. And uh, it was really a good way to get into start selling large scale brands is what I kind of call it, right? So it was more localized. It was a localized sales route in a territory that you had set up every week, right? So you, you started to build those kind of relationships within... Um, you know, selling how to sell, how do you do that in front of a, a retailer uh, partner, if you will. And then moving in there, um, if you look at liquor or or um call it uh drinks or beverages itself, it's a little bit of a unique game. You you're talking a little bit more of a range of pack types that are limited in, in size, right? So think of 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 bottle size is what you're looking at and not necessarily the, the seasonality piece is a little bit different. And everything else, but the the other thing is, is 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 it's a trial based kind of market, right? So you're always kind of competing with the new, latest and greatest, or the subsidiary of a, a wine or a liquor or anything else, which kind of applies to not just um, call it liquor, but other parts of of the box, if you will. Wow, wow! So so you you got it. Sounds like a, a fairly
0: good grounding, I guess, just in business overall, and food and beverage. Um, So you did that for a while and then you moved to Hershey's, right? So still in sales, but I'm assuming there's a difference between selling liquor and selling candy. So can you talk a little bit about maybe what you were able to take with you from the the liquor days that you could use in candy and then maybe – what were some differences? There's some obvious ones, but maybe also some ones that you weren't prepared for and and really talk about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. No, I I think where you see kind of the differences is, or at least some of the things that you're building on a, a, call it a foundation, right? So what you're doing in your career at the beginning of it kind of evolves over time and changes and you kind of build these building blocks, right? And so when you step into call it a similar sales role or a sales uh, job, but it was on a larger scale dealing with uh, bigger accounts right grocery style accounts everything like that that you're selling to you build on call it what you learn which is how to build you know call it trusting relationships with retail partners is kind of a, a pillar that I learned from my liquor days that I applied to my new sales job as a starting you know with with the larger company. And then moving through that, it's it it's it's how you become the subject expert or you know, kind of that leader of the brands that you sell and the categories that they play in, right? So that's where you start building those building blocks and looking at data a little bit differently and and more robustly, right? And then the other thing that you also look at when when I started my career and continued my career within Hershey is the kind of the the PL mechanics, right? So looking at uh, margin, trades, spend, sales forecasting—that all kind of goes into the larger picture of selling a product or a brand or anything else like that. You got to kind of start putting all those those building blocks together, which I really learned and you know took it to another level once I got to Hershey's. Um, the other thing that I, I think is important to kind of note too is that knowing your business and utilizing fact-based selling techniques has really helped me in my journey. And, and, you know, building those building blocks, if you will, as we move over time. Um, it's the understand, understanding of the why behind the, the sales and the sales numbers that you can translate back to a retailer, a retail partner. That, that's great. So so
0: there, it, it wasn't just filling an order, right? Right. So you you really took some time, used the data began to understand your client and really selling to them, not only from a fact-based perspective, but r- would really work for them, it sounds like. Exactly. So so it's interesting you say that because, okay, you go from sales now at Hershey's into category management, and I'm really interested in understanding how did you learn about category management, and then also why did you choose to move from sales into Catman?
1: It's a great question, and I think what uh, really, through anybody's journey of their career, you have people that are looking out for you, right? And, and become mentors. And, and there was a colleague of mine that had made the switch from doing sales and moved into category management and, and told me about it, right? Told me your story. How did it, you know, work? And then I did my own research to kind of build upon that, right? So I, I only knew sales at the time, but I knew that we had this department that is category management. And what does that mean, right? And so uh, did a lot of networking, uh, researched what, what the function is specifically in the department that we were in um, uh, within the building that we were in too, right? And then moving back into what kind of piqued my interest is taking some of those examples and learnings that uh, I, I did early in my career with sales and how do I uh, like untap some of the things that I'm doing on a daily basis that I really enjoy. And one of the things is digging into data. So I love looking at a, a data set and, and trying to solve a problem or create a story uh, within the data that will help a retail partner. So you still have that kind of face-to-face interaction in a unique way, and you have a more unique kind of relationship than just selling them an item. Um, it's, it's deeper than that when you look at category management. And so that's really what uh, started s- sparking my interest in finding those opportunities. Also, one of the things that I really like to, to do is look at the category holistically, right? What's, what's the trends that are kind of the, the peel back of that onion that are happening around the category, whether it's in a, you know, a large mass retailer or a grocery outlet or convenience, um, that what is driving some of those category kind of bubbled up trends that you can help tell that story back to a retailer? Wow. Okay. So, and
0: it's funny. You, you mentioned storytelling that, that continues to be a steady theme throughout our episodes. And with CMA is that, that whole st- storytelling piece and how important that is to really influence decision making, you know, get people to really engage with whatever you're trying to, to accomplish. So it's interesting that you saw that in the sales side of things and then brought that into
1: category management. And essentially, you're building the trust with whoever you're, whatever you're selling, right? Whether it's a concept or you know a shopper metric or piece that you find in the data or anything like that, it's really how you're building that trust with that partner that you're dealing with, and in turn, they're trusting you with the data that they give you or what you're you're mining through. No, that that's a fantastic yeah trust is definitely
0: something that that you want to build and and I don't know if anybody ever equated it to that but but that's absolutely good so so you you move into category management and along the way you are in with one of the bigger and and better retailers out there target and so you know if I think about going into target and when it comes to different holidays i mean they blow it out Halloween, for, for example. So I, we're really interested in understanding when it comes to candy, the seasonality aspect of it, the holiday, not only from a planning perspective, but just that whole process that's involved, you, you probably have a very good um, view of that. And so really want to understand, you know, what does that entail? What do you go through? What are some of the challenges around candy?
1: Oh, it's a great question again. And I think when you kind of unpack that, right, I think overall at its core, seasons is very fun. It's enjoyable. It's a, it should be translated into your work, right? As well as how do you make something a little bit more complex as a season? And I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but it's really at its core a fun, a- enjoyable moment or uh, pieces of moments for people um, that are consuming candy specifically. And if you look at it, that still comes with complexity, right? And so the biggest thing that I learned dealing with seasons, especially with a you know a retailer like target, is that you have two kind of sets happening at the same time, two parts that are moving in the business, and that's your everyday business that is also working in conjunction with seasonally, I call them seasonally dressed items, right? Um, and you have to balance the the two, right? You don't want to oversell uh, the mix of, call it, you know, the seasonally dressed items that have a timestamp on them that eventually they'll they'll clear out, right? They'll sell out and and you don't want too much of that left over at the end of the season. And then you also have the everyday business that is continuing to to sell for different reasons within candy. So that's where the the nuances and the complexity come in, especially in in this type of category, is that you really have to manage both. And it comes down to the you know sell through is very important to the retailer right so selling through the product in a timely fashion and not having a lot left over is what you really got to look into first and then moving into year over year trends so the other thing that you have to look at is that not all seasons have the same timeline for example easter has different um you know lengths of time that they have to sell right so that it never happens on the same date every year so you have to watch those year-over year trends to make sure you're not running out of seasonal product too early and you're not selling too much because of it it's a longer season the next year as an example. And then finally having a deep dive kind of a past trends, right? So I think you have to look in the past to to kind of you know know the future as best as you can for sales forecasting and everything else like that is you really kind of have to have that, as a mindset when you're trying to find the right products for a mix especially when you're looking at total category and and how those those functionalities of everyday businesses and seasonal business regardless of of who's making it or what manufacturer it is. So think of those three elements kind of come together to lather in some more complexity.
0: Holy cow.
1: Okay, yeah, I I I I can see the complexity for sure.
0: I I have not been a part of candy. The closest I've come is turkeys. And they're they're tough <laughs> when you get into Thanksgiving and, and you, you do not want to run long on turkeys going out into January. So, you know, the forecasting, when you mentioned that it just the light bulb went off because it it's like you could really get yourself into trouble one way or another, you know, depending. So going back to what you said about data, you know, really mining that data and making really educated um, decisions on what you do is probably
1: paramount. It's huge yep it's it's the cornerstone of of analyzing seasonal businesses, especially and i I can speak from just experience with candy but it's it's paramount to have the right data tools, the right things to analyze to give that perspective back to your retail partners Wow, wow, no, that's good that's good so
0: so you' you've done liquor, so you've done more d s d and you've been in c stores and other channels, and then you're at target in mass and and so on. And, and now you did talk about, you know, field teams and, and focusing on C-Store. So I want to talk about that for a moment because, you know, C-Store brings its own nuances. Right. So different size items, um, smaller space, potentially more flavors, you know, all those different things. So can you talk about C-Store? Um, and kind of that footprint, and and maybe what you're dealing with from a candy perspective.
1: Yeah, so with C store, it's very unique, as you alluded to, right? It's it's also enjoyable, right? It's an enjoyable channel to work in. It's it's very, uh, I, I would say, relationship based, right? And everything as as you do building that trust, building those those pillars with your retail partners. I think overall, if you look at C store compared to other channels, it's very impulse driven. So if you look at the whole box of convenience, not just call it candy. It's it's most large manufacturers. It's the impulse nature of of the the trip, right? Or the nature of the business, not the business trip, but the trip of going in uh to the box, if you will. Um, it opens that door for consumers to try products in similar pack types, right? So really smaller uh pack types is is the way to win with inconvenience. And that's unique. And it also is unique in the the fact that Store footprints are very small comparatively to a, a Target or a, a food grocer or anything like that. So again, it's a nice channel, I think, for innovation testing, right? A lot of manufacturers do innovation, uh, through this, this network because of the small pack sizes. It's the easy entrant for a consumer to, to buy a, a new product or try product switch within that as well. Um, I think the other thing to kind of, you know, glean on to is the consumers typically spend less time in-store versus a, a, call it a planned trip in in food or, or another channel, right? Um, it's typically around five to 10 minutes that they spend on purchasing. So you really have to have the right mix. And I think kind of leading back to the previous kind of question is, is assortment is key, right? So it's not more or less a seasonal driven marketplace within C-Store. It's having optimal mix and having the right choice uh, on shelf for consumers to buy. And so looking at uh, your core business and then looking at what items are providing incrementality to the category that are bringing the consumers in is very important within convenience. So so you
0: brought up innovation and, and, and I just want to kind of go a little deeper on that. So within the innovation space, um, new item, you're trying to test it out, see how consumers or shoppers interact with it if they pick it up. But you have that small space. It, it's usually pretty tried and true. I go to the to the uh, area of the store and I I know there's a, a Snickers there. I know there's whatever. How, how do these brands or how do you expose shoppers to the fact that there's something new?
1: Yeah, I, I think that what you do with that is that you bring it outside of the aisle, especially if it's a new innovation item, right? So I think because the store footprint is so small you have to be creative on where you find new consumers right within the box itself and i think you have to have whether it's a you know a display or or something to kind of give them a reason to buy in or or give them a little bit of a nugget about the innovation item that is outside the aisle and i outside of the aisle is super important okay okay interesting
0: so and I'll display type situation but yeah you have your 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 unit that's sitting there kind of probably in a high traffic area.
1: Exactly. Whether it's by, you know, uh, beverages is, is a big category and a large category of their own so-called their own retailers, uh, beverages that they sell, whether it's fountain drinks or anything like that, to have some of that engagement outside of the aisle with new innovation items. And if you think about it again, it's a very impulsive space, right? So the whole store, it can essentially be an in- impulse buy, Right which is unique comparatively when you're doing a, a grocery shop or something else.
0: So so what would you say when it comes to C-Store, because obviously different from a, like a Target, but what would you say is either maybe the most challenging or on the other side, the most exciting part of working in C-Store?
1: I think uh, the most exciting or interesting piece, I, I would say at least a ground, um, you know, the conversation is it's very fragmented and how Retailers go to market, right? So there's varying sizes. It's about 150,000 outlet uh, space, which is far unique to any food mass customer. It's very more localized and less retail outlets that they they have as uh, you know, kind of a, a mouthpiece for their selling their brands and their items and everything else. So I think if you break that into it's it's mostly large chain groups, it's regional mid tier groups, and then you have this independent space which makes up most of, of you know, the majority share of the business, right? So you're kind of balancing this fragmentation, right? Which makes it interesting. So I think the biggest thing with that is that you have to really form those solid relationships with those retail partners across the channel. And how you do that is you have to learn how they operate because they all go to market separately, right? Or can go to market separately. There's some similarities, but um, whether they lean more into food service or, you know, gas uh, you know, gas pricing or, you know, some of the other things that happen inside of a store that they're trying to make themselves unique in a marketplace of 150,000 outlets. So I think building that trust and and going back to knowing their specific businesses is very important, which makes it very interesting. And you get to learn uh, a lot from the, those different uh, subsets of retailers within the market.
0: So I wasn't aware. So what what is that
1: break? breakout between independent and kind of corporately owned. So um according to Circana, right, it's about 55% of the businesses um independent and about 45 is made up of your larger chain and mid-tier groups. Okay, so you have a lot of touch points. Yes, <laughs> individual
0: yeah. touch points. Wow, okay, that's great. So last last question for this uh section in the trenches. Um so and, and this is an assumption, but when we look at COVID and some of the dynamics that happened at, call it your mainstream grocery, um, where a lot of shifts, click and collect, online, all of that was happening. I'm assuming that C-Store maybe didn't go through the same um, changes. Is, is that true? or or And if if so, what do you see, kind of, in the
1: horizon?
0: Will there be more change, maybe, on the horizon
1: that you're you're expecting? I, yeah, I think it's in an interesting time in general within convenience store. I think it's kind of this this period where they've learned from things with what happened with COVID to now, how do we look at the future, right? And and some of the things that we're currently seeing um, in the marketplace that I, I think everybody's seen is this emergence of EV, right? So electric vehicles are not going away anytime soon, right? Uh, They're actually expanding, they're growing, right? Of of, uh, consumers purchasing electronic vehicles, which makes it um, a new way to look at the business because kind of like what I mentioned before, an average consumer within C-Store only spends five to 10 minutes and they have a quick fill in with um, their gas purchases that happens very fast. Whereas EV, you have a charging dwell time, right? So think of you're now charging your EV, which takes longer than a quick fill your gas and go. So I think that's in the minds, especially when you look at uh, some of the, the retailers leading the charge within the channel, that they are providing EV options at their their stations and everything else like that, that we need to kind of look at that a little bit more because that influences what you sell in store, right? And you want to have higher quality you know food products and items and everything else to sell while you have dwell time and then you also want to make sure the experience is clean safe and and everything else that comes within convenience right to make that holistic shopping experience uh enjoyable right so i think that's really something on the horizon that we're going to see i think moving into the future is how ev kind of plays in that space and i think the other um side of it as well is the you know the digital experience right so app-based programming um there's again you know uh, some early players and adoption players within convenience itself and it's that holistic kind of 360 approach to kind of fill in uh, a trip mission or a, a, an impulse you know driven mission that might happen uh, while you're at home right so you have to have the digital experience kind of translate uh, whether it 's you know uh, delivery right or or you know pick up and go or or online kind of transactions that happen uh behind the scenes that you would normally see in a food or a large mass grocer that 's currently in those are industry. big <laughs> those are very big big things would
0: never have thought of the e v piece Have you seen retailers um that are Getting into EV, have you seen any adjustments in store that they've made as as you mentioned?
1: Yeah. I, I think you're seeing that evolvement over the whole landscape, right? So not just uh yes, there's some early adopters that have, you know, the places where you can charge and everything, but it's what I've seen in, in those places where they do have charging stations available is the uh customer experience, right? Or the overall uh experience in store of of finding products that are on shelf, right? Uh, finding new new things while you're dwelling um, is is a big thing, and and I think even just the food service piece is having quality food um, to offer right to to your guests and, and your consumer base. Oh, and and one more thing I wanted to mention um, about digital, right? So one of the things that we're looking at is the emergence of self checkout translating from food or, or larger, uh, bigger retailers into the convenience space. So. That's one of the things that we need to be mindful of especially if it being impulse to have the right items up the right assortment the mix the the, the quicker movers the core movers that are are uh, that add on to the um the trip if you will. Well that's great. A couple areas we've never explored
0: um, within our cast. So very very interesting. I picked your brain a lot. So with that we're going to come up for air. Finally, coming up for air, so you can take a, a deep breath. Kind of, oh, the hard part's over. But a couple fun questions for you. Um, I always kind of try to research my my guests, and uh, so I do want to talk. Ha- have you talk about your family? But I saw some really cute pictures on Facebook. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so if you could talk about your family.
1: Oh uh, yeah, so very blessed uh, family of five. So I've got three amazing kids and a very uh, you know very loving wife and it's just been great right so we've we've had um you know a really uh my oldest daughter's 10 and and my middle daughter's seven and we're knee deep in this dance uh competitive world right now and um you know that takes up a lot of our time and and everything and they love it right and then my My youngest son, he's uh, five years old, and is a sports junkie. He he loves anything sports, and and pick up a a golf club or a hockey stick or a baseball bat, and and he's all over it. So we've really had some some you know fun experiences as a family, and it's they're they're a huge support system for me, and it's very uh, very blessed with our family for sure. It
0: it was really cool. I have three girls, but to see you uh, in the bed reading stories to the girls on Facebook, I thought was really awesome. So, so
1: you're a candy guy, right? What's your favorite candy? <laughs> I, that, that's a big one to unpack. Um, I'd say what my first or, or not first, but at least experiences with candy. A, a quick story on on one of my favorites. I wouldn't say it's the the, the absolute favorite, but I, I would say one of memorable memorable experience growing up is um, uh, when I was a kid watching TV seen some of our favorite shows and sitting at a friend's house, I saw a commercial pop up for, uh it was the Simpsons at the time and Butterfinger. So one of my first interactions with one of the candies that I love is Butterfinger and, and looking at the commercial seeing what is this new bar, right? Candy bar it was kind of outside of the traditional lines within candy. And so the next day I immediately rode my bike to the the general store at the time and and I said, I need to try this Butterfinger bar. So ever since then, I've been hooked on Butterfinger since it's part of one of my favorite candies. Nice. Nice. Yes.
0: Another question for you. What is the most important holiday for candy? Uh,
1: I would say they all are. Uh, but I think the biggest one that we look at is the the kickoff to the seasons. If you look at it, you know, a, a seasonal cadence is Halloween, right? So Halloween is a cornerstone biz- business for candy. It drives a lot of volume of candy. As you can imagine, you know, with the, the trips in mind and the, the mission of what people are picking up candy for, it's a lot of sharing and a lot of giving in the community. And so you want to make sure you're set up for success. The other thing is, is that it runs in succession of the, the next three major holidays, which is holiday season, Valentine's Day, you know, Valentine's and Easter. So they all kind of run in succession. When you, once you hit that Halloween point. Um, it's, it's hit the ground running after that. So you really got to just kind of start successful, have a good plan in place specifically for Halloween within candy.
0: Nice. Nice.
1: All right. Well, we're
0: about to end here. But, you know, for people who are listening and uh, again, a lot of people have not interacted with candy. I'll also throw in there they may not have interacted with C-Store. So if you were to give some recommendations or kind of key insights,
1: either one you pick, what would what would you share? I'd say first of all, at least dealing with candy is have fun with it, right? It's a it's a very permissible brand to have fun. It's a it, it brings a lot of people together. I think of that as your core as you're kind of moving through whether you're looking at data or helping solve a problem, whatever it might be. I think that's the core is have fun with it. And then I think the, the other piece of that is 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 really analyze the category, what's happening around you, based on the retailer needs. So whatever that specific retailer is. Bring them the insights that is about their business. Maybe it's about their shopper. I think those, those two are very key. And then I think the biggest thing um, or, or one of the final things is paying attention to the, the seasonal part of the business, what, what you're doing. It, it can be complex, but there's a lot of nuances and, and, and things that you can kind of find out of there that can help you be successful for the entire uh, length of a calendar year, for example. Nice, nice.
0: Well, that that's great and uh, really appreciate all your insights. Again, learned a lot um, during this time. And so, again, glad to have you. Glad to have you here in studio. So you've just listened to another amazing episode of our cast. Please look forward to more interesting people like David in the weeks to come. And please don't forget to share our cast with your colleagues. And if you have feedback, top, topic suggestions, or guest recommendations, please go to www.catman.global slash artcast. And what I want you to do is go down to the bottom. Some people are now starting to do that, so I appreciate it. But go down to the bottom, and there's a form that you can complete. We'll get that information and try and get back to you as soon as possible. So with that, this is James Jackson and David signing off, and you've been in the trenches. Have a great day.